This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Hi, it's Glenn Beck, and I want to thank you for supporting The Blaze. Because of your phone calls and emails, The Blaze has been added by many TV providers. But we can't stop now. The big media companies like DirecTV, Comcast, and Time Warner aren't listening. They think CNN, MSNBC, and Al Jazeera America are all you need. But we humbly disagree, and we think you do, too. Visit GetTheBlaze.com and let your TV provider know that you want The Blaze in your home. GetTheBlaze.com. Thanks. Will Kane, S.E. Cup, R. Kane and Cup, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome to Kane and Cup. I'm Will Kane. I'm S.E. Cup. Hang out with us. Hang out with us this morning. See that? That was coffee. That was just you a little bit of You barely got there. Barely got barely. there. Barely. And this is like five words into the show. Five words. 888-900-3393 on Twitter, at Will Kane. At SE Cup. Hashtag us, Kane and Cup. We've got a big show today. We're going to talk about selective outrage, mm. media preening, mm. peacocking, oh. hashtag activism. Oh. Nothing in particular. Oh, okay. Um, but we want to start our show off today talking about that, that issue, that thing, that woman that you can't help yourself with, the one you keep returning to, the hot stove. You keep touching over and over. Can't help yourself. Can't help yourself. Sir Mix-a-Lot said that. Oh, okay. (laughs) In his poem. He was a poet. (laughs) Yeah. In his poem, I think it was entitled, uh, Baby Got Got Back. back. Yeah. I can't help myself. I'm an animal. (laughs) Oh, uh uh-huh, uh-huh. But but the important part there is that you know it's bad for you, yet you keep going back. You just can't help yourself. Yeah. That happens. It happens in politics. Mm-hmm. It happens over and over. Um, I think what you and I want to talk about, what we want to do is we want to explore the policy, the political issues that Republicans and Democrats just can't help themselves with. They just keep coming back to them regardless of how many times they get burned, no matter how many times they've learned a lesson that this issue does not pay off for you. You can't help yourself. You come back to it. Um. We want to ask you, by the way, when it comes to Republicans, what are the issues that they keep coming back to after learning the lesson that they cannot win on these issues? 888-900-3393. Republicans do it, too. Oh, sure. Sometimes to to a fault, and sometimes we get burned. Yeah. So what are those issues? And we want to ask you, the audience, to help us figure out what those are. But first, I mean, we, we should start with the Democrats because they're on a bit of a roll this week on going back to issues that they just don't win on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, It's something actually that a lot of people were talking about this week because the new climate report came out and President Obama made a big deal about it. It was a it's a report commissioned every couple of years and. uh, The National Climate Assessment. Yeah. And it 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 was pretty scary. Let's just put it that way. It was pretty scary. Miami gone. In just a couple of years. The Statue of Liberty? Gone. Underwater. Gone. Did you see the day after tomorrow? It's going to be just like that. Roland Emmerich is Nostradamus. It's going to be just like that. Um, There's an entire town in Alaska that's being moved. There's an entire road in North Carolina that's being raised. It is doomsday. 
the whole idea of this national climate assessment is to convince us that climate change is not some theoretical far off danger that we can just pontificate on. It's here. It's here today. It's in your backyard tomorrow. If I could, I see President Obama went on a PR campaign this week in the wake of the release of this report. And his technique this time wasn't to sit down with the Jake Tappers of the world. It wasn't to sit down with even the Matt Lowers of the world. It was to sit down with the weathermen of the media. (laughs) Yes. It was to sit down with Al Roker. And to do exactly what you just described, the yeah. Statue of Liberty, the Jefferson Memorial, Rose. Scary. Scare the pants off the country. Let me show you exactly um, how this picture was painted. Let's play cut five. More dangerous floods. More frequent and powerful storms. Wildfires burning more often with less water on hand to put them out. And on the heels of America's warmest decade, more heat waves and periods of severe drought. All these symptoms set to grow more severe, according to the latest national climate assessment put out by the White House Tuesday. Why has it taken so long to get to this point where you're sounding this urgency? Well, I tell you, we've been sounding this urgency for the last five years. If we don't do more, mm-hmm. we're going to have bigger problems. Can I see, we can stop it right there? Uh, look, five years? Well, but here's the, you know, my, my filter on climate change, I see, is all through the prism of humility. It's all through the prism of arrogance, and I'm happy to explain what I mean by this. But here's the deal. Is it ever a little does, – does science ever recognize its own hubris when you say everything, <clears throat> right, from droughts to prolonged winters to hot, hot days and icy days, from torrential rainstorms and hurricanes to the decline of the pine beetle can be explained by one thing. Right. One thing explains all of this. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and I like I like the idea that President Obama suggests he sort of invented this five years ago. Five years ago, they started studying that. He's been warning people for five years. Let me remind, I mean, I was in elementary school when the idea of global warming first started coming into classrooms, scaring the crap out of children. It was acid rain. It was torrential flooding. It was droughts. It was fiery volcanoes erupting and tornadoes and hurricanes, and we were all going to die. And it works on children. Oh, I went home immediately. I went home immediately and told my parents, we have to plant trees. We have to plant them right now. My dad worked for a paper company. I protested. <laughs> I mean, it was like, my, I mean, my life changed. My world changed because I was so scared of the planet ending in my lifetime. And, and literally, that is what they made you think. As a child. So that was 30 years ago. So President Obama might have been talking about this for five years. But the climate scare fear mongers have been at this for quite a while. And let me just let me just uh, put it out there for anyone who maybe is on the other side of this issue listening. I am not a climate denier. I believe climate change is real. I believe man is a contributor to it. You would think that saying all of that, putting all of those caveats out there, would endear you somewhat to the climate change community because you're not one of those kooks who doesn't think that climate change is real. You're not one of those crazies who doesn't believe in science. Let me disavow you of this notion really fast. Saying all of that up front, that you are not a climate denier, that you believe climate change is real, that you believe man is a contributor, that does not buy you any goodwill if, if you follow that 
with a number of key sentences. You what cannot. Are they? Well, I, ha- I have them. Oh. These are things you cannot say. Okay. Because th- then all of the, the preamble goes away. Because you, you have to understand on this issue, it requires 100% devotion. This is fun. Blind devotion. Oh, this is fundamentalist belief. This is, you Total. are, you may be a Muslim, but you're a Salafist. And that's not a real Muslim. It's not Muslim enough. That's not Muslim enough. You have to go all the way on climate science. There's no deviation from 100%. A to Z. So the, the, the following things you cannot raise. You cannot raise or it doesn't matter anymore that you believe in climate change and you believe that man is a contributor. Doesn't matter. You can say that as often as you want. You cannot bring up the fact, A, not all scientific predictions about climate change have come true. <laughs> you cannot point that out. You are immediately a climate denier. No, 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 but I, I believe in climate change. No, 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 you're out. You're a troglodyte. That's one thing. You can't point that out. By the way, that's a fact. It's right. just a fact. Can't point that out. You cannot point out, B, that if the U.S. halted all carbon emissions today, it would have a very insignificant effect on temperature rising. Very, ins- I mean, immeasurably insignificant. If every country in the world ceased carbon emissions today within impossible. 10 years, right. if every country in the world ceased carbon emissions except for China, mm-hmm. it would have a negligible effect. That's China right. would emit enough carbon to ne- negate everyone else's cessation. Yeah, you can't emissions. say that. You're a, you're, you're a crazy person, Will. You're a climate denier. Mm. Well, I know that. You're a climate denier. You're a troglodyte. The other thing you can't bring up, cows. Cows are a major contributor of... Carbon dioxide emissions and methane emissions. You're talking about cow farts. Cow farts and cow gas. You can't you can't bring that up. Burps? Yeah, burps. Is that why you modified my Burps and the other thing. I'm a lady, Will. I'm I'm a lady. Sorry I left out burps. I'm a lady. Let's just say emissions. Methane. Methane and, and carbon dioxide equivalents. You can't bring that up. Also a fact. You can't bring it up. These are just some of the tripwires to get you excommunicated from the scientific community. You must, in fact, ignore that science to endear yourself fully to this community of people. And by this community, I mean the left. You must, in fact, ignore all this science and never bring it up, never speak of it. It is verboten. Well. Because devotion must be complete. I can't go as far as you because my position on climate change is I don't know. I'm sure the climate is changing. I'd be very, very concerned if it were stagnant. Um (laughs) To what extent man is or is not contributing to it? I don't know. I I don't know to what extent either, but I believe that man is contributing to climate change. I understand that some great percentage of scientists uh, believe that to be true. I also understand the true nature of science is to question orthodoxy. No, no. To question conventional thought. You're wrong. You think that. You're wrong, Will. Get (laughs) out of this room. Right. Right. You're wrong. Scientific tradition has to do, I'm learning with consensus and agreement, not questions and... It's total devotion. (laughs) It's total devotion. Right. It's not questions. Questions you think are part of the scientific uh, process, not incorrect. Incorrect. <laughs> Let me disavow you of all of the preconceived notions, the stupid, silly, immature, juvenile preconceived notions you ever had about science. You are not to question it. Questions are outlawed.
Well, and you didn't even, I think you left out the most compelling questions uh, for science from there going forward is what can you do about it? Why do you think now's temperature, now's climate is the perfect one? Why are you attempting to preserve the status quo? Why is tomorrow not better than today? You can't answer that for me. You only think the time you're living in now is the way exactly as God, or in your world, science intended it. This is perfection. And beyond that, if we just all come together and carry bags and recycle water bottles, we can actually do something about this. These are all questions that expose humility, the lack of humility in this equation. But the point you and do I you, are do having. Do you also think the earth is flat, Will? Because that's what you sound like right now. I can't believe you just said that. Right. <laughs> right. Um, the reason we're talking about this is because the left keeps coming back to climate change despite the fact they've yeah. learned the lesson. Despite their conclusions, their consensus, and their agreement, it does not work. Well, that's okay. So we just talked about. At least about as a political issue. How, it does not work. Yeah. We just talked about how. Uh, you can't really talk about this issue unless you're in total agreement. The other thing about this is what you just brought up. And actually, I've got some uh, I've got some facts. Now, might not be science approved, but they're facts nonetheless about why this why this isn't working. This is not working for the left yet. They keep doing it. Let's do that when we get back. More Kane and Cup coming up. This is Kane and Cup. On the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Kane and Cup. I'm Essie Cup. And I'm Will Kane. Will and I are just summarily getting ourselves excommunicated from the scientific community well, by asking questions about global warming. You're confused the fact that you were ever invited in or were a member of that community. You're right. You're right. You're right. I thought as, as a person, this is the thing. I mean, I kind of felt like maybe if I can suck up a little by admitting uh, I'm not a climate denier. I believe that climate change is happening, and I believe that man is in part a contributor, that this would buy me some goodwill in a conversation about climate change and would allow me to ask very serious, I think, fact-based questions. I was wrong. I was wrong. Can't ask any questions. Don't ask any questions. But but the other aspect to this is... Um, as scary as Democrats want climate change to sound and as hard as they go on this issue and as often as they return to it, the results are negligible. In fact, I have some recent polling um, from Gallup that says 64% of Americans do not think global warming poses a serious threat to their way of life. This despite... All of the fear-mongering and scare tactics from the weather guys, from the administration, from the science guys. Um, why isn't it working? The scare tactics are not working. Just to, at the very least, form a public consensus. They've not worked. They also don't work at the ballot box. I mean, we know that no one votes on climate change. I don't care how often you talk about it. Uh, I, I don't care where you live. Climate change is not a turnout producer 
You asked the question, why this doesn't work. Why, I, let me offer you two answers. First of all, the answer that is, is the one that I think the American people is saying, um, which is your certainty has not yet convinced us. Yeah. Your certainty has not convinced me, by the way, to even uh, begin to think about the one element you haven't introduced, which is cost. You know, right. Even if I believed you, what do I have to give up? And ultimately, the American people are saying to the left and to the scientist, we hear you. You're saying give us your money, give us power, and we will save you, right? Mm-hmm, right. And the American people are saying, I'm just not ready for that yet. They also don't believe that it's happening tomorrow. And right. that is, that's the newest aspect of this because most scientists, I think a decade ago, were saying, look, it's not going to happen for a long time, but if we make changes now, we can slow down the process. We can curb greenhouse gases. We can save the ozone layer if we make small changes now. They have abandoned that. Now, the change is literally happening overnight. Tomorrow you could wake up and your backyard is flooded. The unwillingness to consider all the questions that you want to introduce, the questions you think by granting yourself or Mm. asking for goodwill you get to introduce, those get in the way of the ultimate conclusion. The ultimate conclusion is give me power, give me your money, and I will save you. And that that, that argument has not been sealed. That conclusion has not been made. But let me tell you what the left tells themselves, why this doesn't work politically for them. Because, they think, people are short-term thinkers. People are immediate gratification individuals. They will not sacrifice today to save themselves tomorrow. In theory, in philosophy, they're right on many, many issues. We are suckers for immediate gratification. Mm -hmm. However, they're using that as a warm blanket to cover themselves in over the fact they have not convinced the American people of their argument. Give me money, Mm. give me your money, give me power, and I will save you from the climate you have created, Mm -hmm. which is Armageddon. Well, and and not only have have they failed to convince the people, they've actually, um, they've betrayed the people because they don't always ask for your money. Sometimes they just take it. Mm. Like with Solyndra. I was never asked if I wanted to fund a solar panel company and produce a false market that would not have existed otherwise. I was never asked. My taxpayer money was just taken. It was stolen. It was used to create a false market for solar panels that failed. was a colossal failure. Well, I learned my lesson from that. That didn't buy any goodwill on my part to buy into their climate change argument, their energy argument. All that did was turn me off. But I think it's... I, I think you're you're probably right. There's a little of that immediate gratification. They, they they really don't think we're very smart. But also, this is what Democrats do when they're out of ideas. They appeal to emotion. We're going to be the warm and fuzzy, emotional, paternal ter- caretakers so that Republicans have to come back against this and look cold and unfeeling, careless, and they hate the planet, and they don't care if you live or die. That's, I mean, it's to set up that dichotomy. That's generally, if, unless they're talking about, uh, no, scratch that. That is always, <laughs> that is always the goal in almost every policy a Democrat brings up. It is to create a dichotomy between the Democrat and the Republican. The Democrat who cares, the Republican who doesn't. Minimum wage, dichotomy. Violence against women, dichotomy. Um, healthcare, dichotomy. Social security, dichotomy. Global warming, dichotomy. That is the only purpose. Well, they keep coming back to this issue, uh, partially because they, uh, they're they out 
they're fresh out when it comes to the midterm elections this this fall. They're yeah. fresh out of ideas. They don't have the economy. Obamacare is not going to be a winner. So we return to old faithfuls like climate change, gun control, the ones that we truly believe in. Now, <clears throat> to some extent, you have to respect somebody who truly believes in something despite the polls telling them they should not continue to talk about it. Do you it. think they truly believe? In climate change? In, yeah. In anthropogenic climate change and yes. their ability to control it? Yes, I do. Wow. I think they're true believers. But they're not the only ones. Everybody's mm-hmm. capable of jumping the political shark. Everybody's capable of going too far. Mm-hmm. We've been looking to ask you as well, what are issues Republicans go too far on? 888-900-3393. When we come back on Kane and Cup. This is Kane and Cup, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. Radio Network. 888-900-3393. Those issues you just can't help yourself with. You keep coming back. R or D. Because you just love those issues. No matter how many times the public tells you. Not working. Not into you, man. Mm. Uh, Did you know I I wrote this down? I was trying to think of uh, I Can't Help Myself songs. I have already invoked Sir Mix a lot. How about... Okay. Are you worried? Uh, a little bit. You want me to sing? I'm, uh, I'm afraid Sugar of what you're going to say. Sugar pie, honey bunch. I know that I love you. Can't help myself. There it okay, is. Okay, yeah, okay. And did you know, in addition to that is the four tops, I'm so glad she started singing, by the way, because I did not want to go on to the second stanza. Okay, okay. Uh, Joey Lawrence, which I don't Joey? know. Joey? Yeah. Like, he, whoa. Exactly. He had a singing career. Uh, he has a song called I Can't Help Myself. No. Yeah, I can't sing it because I you don't know it. never heard it. But. <laughs> uh, Kenny in Texas, um, despite the fact that climate change, the Democrats learn over and over, it is not one that wins them elections. They keep coming back to it. Well, you realize there's a profit incentive there, don't you? A what out there? A profit incentive. I mean, take this whole hole in the ozone layer, for example. You remember that thing? Oh, yeah. Well, what was really going on there was DuPont had come out with this new coolant for refrigerator systems called R134A, but there's currently a superior market on the, uh, product on the market called R12. So they conveniently hyped this whole the ozone layer until they got R12 banned because it was such an environmental hazard and then made billions in the following decades on sales of R134A. Kenny, are you suggesting there's some kind of profit motive here? I'm not suggesting. I'm proving. <laughs> That's crazy. That is crazy. Science isn't corrupted by profits. Science is science. Or ulterior motives. You're talking about politics. We're talking about science. It's Th- pure. Thanks for the call, Kenny. <laughs> um, you I know. mean, he's right. And I'm sure, uh, you know, I don't know to what degree profit is driving a lot of this conversation, but he's right. I mean, 
there is politics at work here with global warming. We're talking about creating an entire new, not just product, as in Kenny's uh, example, yeah. industry, the green way of energy life. market. Way of life. Doing away with the industry. And make no mistake, by the way, you can easily find quotes where the stated goal is to do away with yeah. the fossil fuel industry. Cool. John Podesta has said to reduce carbon emissions from fossil fuels to zero. Mm -hmm. Fossil fuels, the source of energy that has drug man from essentially prehistoric caveman days, maybe not, 1700s, um, (laughs) to the massive amount of wealth where the poorest among us have access to electricity, heat, warmth, refrigeration today. Yeah. Do away with that. Yeah, just get rid of it. And create a whole new industry. Right. Yeah, there's going to be some profit motive in there. There's going to be some some uh, players who can benefit from that. Well, yeah, and, and but but what's what's amazing is the indignance with which the scientific community pretends it is above politics and profit. Mm-hmm. And how dare you, Will and Essie, ask us questions about science when science is above your questions. Um, you know, there's another issue, of course, and you mentioned it briefly. There's another issue that Democrats cannot help themselves. They can't they cannot stop returning to this issue every election cycle, even though it's not only like negligible, it's it's deleterious. It has a like a negative effect on Democrats at the polls. And that's gun control. That is gun control. Even, even when they were successful in 1994 with the assault weapons ban, people forget Democrats paid heavily for that in the very next election. Heavily. In fact, every every Democrat of that generation swore Gone. to themselves <laughs> they will not deal with gun control again. When it came back in the last couple of years, a whole generation, the Bill Clinton generation of Democrats yeah. had said, don't touch it. Don't do it, man. Don't do it. Don't do it, man. But they keep doing it. In fact, you remember after President Obama's second inaugural address, which listed, uh, you know, 17,000 different uh, agenda items, including global warming and gun control, um, rather than deal with immigration, rather than deal with this looming implementation of Obamacare, rather than deal with entitlement reform, rather than deal with tax reform, rather than deal with income inequality, the first thing he did, gun control. Wasted, wasted all the political capital he had built by winning that second term. Wasted it in January of 2013. Wasted. And they keep coming back to this. Even though polling suggests most Americans are comfortable with, like, background checks, Mm -hmm. other polling puts gun control at the bottom of their priority list. The, like the bottom, bottom, bottom of their priority list. It is not something Americans want Washington busying themselves with. So those that are in favor of gun control, your highest upside with those people is that you're at number 10 on their priority list. If 10. And those that are opposed to gun control, the risk you run yeah. is that that is often number one, two, or three on their priority on our list. list. Exactly. So the, there isn't a balance of emotional and political support, right? For people who care about gun rights on the right, this is a voting issue for us. And for people who care about gun control, this is not a voting issue for them. There is no upside except what we talked about with global warming, that emotional appeal. We care about you. Republicans do not. Republicans want your children to die in the streets. 
Look, I think a Gallup poll says that 40% of Americans now, or almost 40% of Americans, have a gun in their home. So not only are you talking about people that are passionate about this issue, but people that are invested in it, who have a gun, who do not see themselves as the criminals they're painted out to be because they own that gun, because they need to now jump through every regulatory and legislative hoop that somebody far away suggests they need to because they cannot be trusted with a gun. When you go out and you say that, We need you to submit to an extensive background check. When you go out and you say people are bitter and they cling to their guns and their religion, you're making an enemy of a great percentage of Americans. And that's how you find yourself, someone like Hillary Clinton, running to a bar in Pittsburgh, a blue-collar bar in Pittsburgh to drink a Coors Light to prove, no, I'm not so different than people when you were very different. Um, And I would suggest that this is an issue— That can doom Hillary Clinton. If she champions gun control and intends to run for president, there are most issues, by the way, are base, base cheering issues designed to pump up your base. Right. This is an issue that can actually, I think, condemn a presidential aspirant. You do not go after gun control. This one bleeds across bases. Well, and I don't and it's not if she does it, she's done it. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what she recently said about gun control. But it's weird that she didn't learn from President Obama's mistake when he said clinging to guns and religion. I mean, she made the most of that moment. Yeah, she took advantage of it. Absolutely. But it's like she forgot all about it. Because when you're a Democrat, you return over and over to this issue. It doesn't matter how many times that hot stove has burned your hand. And she did it just this week. She was at a... Uh, she was at an event in National Harbor, Maryland. She was talking about all kinds of things. It's She she seems to like these Q&A events where um, she's sitting on a stage and people just ask her questions and she gets to sort of pontificate about what it's like to be Hillary Clinton and et cetera. So it was one of those. And she was asked about gun control. And I'm going to read you a couple things that she said. Okay. Because they're absurd. Let me, instead of bearing the lead, they're absurd. Here's one thing she said. Quote, we have to rein in what has become an almost an article of faith that anybody can own a gun anywhere, anytime. And I don't believe that. Well, she shouldn't believe it because it's not true. It's 100% not true. As a law-abiding gun owner, if I were given the time to tell you all the places I cannot have a gun, including in my own home, in my own home, it would take me until November of 2016. To list all of the rules and regulations against where I can bring my gun. 20,000 laws on the books about where I cannot have my gun. I'm a law-abiding, registered, background-checked gun owner. This absurd notion that we will live in a place where you can have a gun anywhere, anytime, is patently absurd. And not because people like Hillary Clinton won't allow it, but because gun owners won't allow it. Gun owners know where it's safe to have guns, where it's not safe to have guns. We provide the restrictions that we know make sense for gun owners. So Hillary Clinton, wielding a sword of Valerian steel, stabs that straw man straight in the heart, kneecaps him. Total straw man. Won that argument. Yeah, total straw man. But she, I mean, she didn't stop there. It gets infinitely worse. Um, You know what? Let's take a break because I don't want to... uh, I don't want to rush through this one. It's so good. It's so good. It might keep her from getting elected. That's when we come back. Kane and Cup. 
Will Kane and Desi Cup. We'll continue in a moment on the Blaze Radio Network. The next generation of talk radio, Kane and Cup, is on. Hillary Clinton's going to face a number of issues if she runs for president. Um, but I think one of them could be gun control based on just the few things she said recently this week at National Harbor at a, at a conference there. Uh, who knows what she'll say if she actually runs and is pressed on this issue. And I hope she's pressed on this issue. Because what she said this week was amazeballs. Uh, We already talked about the one straw man argument that, you know, one day, anybody can own a gun anywhere, anytime. Anywhere, anytime. I mean, just anywhere, anytime. Like, the 20,000 laws we have on the books are just going to evaporate. Right. Okay. There's another amazing straw man that I love. Okay, I'll read it. I'll read it all. And then we can take it apart. She says, at the rate we're going, okay, at the rate we're going, okay, okay, we're going to have so many people with guns everywhere, fully licensed, fully validated, I don't know what that means, in settings where you could be in a movie theater and they don't like someone chewing gum loudly or talking on their cell phone and decide they have the perfect right to defend themselves against the gum chewer or the cell phone user, by shooting. See, I can't take this apart. <laughs> I can't take this apart. I can't. I, I want to do, do it. I want to do it like, 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 um, like, like, phrase by phrase. First, at the rate we're going. The only the way you can going. do this, by the way. At the rate we're going. <laughs> what rate are we going? Um. Well, okay. I'm at gonna... the rate we're going, like, gun crime going down? No. Okay, I'm going to grant her her premise at the beginning of this statement that right, gun going. ownership is going up, licenses is going up, yeah. most states have moved to shall issue. She's pontificating yeah. on the fact that more people have guns. From here, we will decide whether or not that's a good or bad thing. Okay, so at the rate we're going, we're going to have so many people with guns everywhere, fully licensed, fully validated. What is full, what's a full license versus like a half license? Am I a validated gun owner? What's validated? What does that mean? My mom loves me. I get validation. <laughs> I get validation from my mom. What does that mean? Um, What's fully licensed versus kind of licensed? I don't know. I don't think she does either. Does she know that like you don't need a license to have like a shotgun? Does she know that? She doesn't know that. She doesn't know that. I don't know. I do not know. So and and let me just point out the problem she sees. It's not illegal gun ownership. The problem she sees is at this rate we're going, we're going to have so many people with legal guns. Fully legal. Fully legal, fully and validated guns. Right. Validated guns are really dangerous. Right. <laughs> but now it gets really good. Wait, now it gets really good. Now it gets really good. In settings where one could be in a movie theater and they don't like someone chewing gum loud. I hate that. I, I do hate that. I hate loud gum chewers. You know what I hate more than loud gum chewers? So I feel you, sister. People 
crunching ice at the movie theaters. Now I'm yes. a I'm a ice crunching fool. I love crunching <laughs> the ice at the end of a Coke. But don't do it at the movie theater. Right. I may shoot your ass. It's wow. true. Wow. So you are who she's worried about. <laughs> yeah. Don't like someone chewing gum loudly or talking on their cell phone, which is also obnoxious. This is this is the best part. And so they decide they have the perfect right to defend themselves against the gum chewer, the cell phone shooter by shooting. Shut up. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. <laughs> Because that, that's definitely going to become legal. We should definitely worry about too many people shooting gum chewers and loud talkers. That's our problem with gun crime in this country today. It's gum chewers. Do you know the thing about it's absurdity? cell phone talkers. Well, I mean, clearly. It, it's, it's so No, dumb. this came, wait, st- don't say clearly. I know. This came out of the Secretary of State's mouth. This came out of a potential presidential candidate's mouth. Will Kane. This is absurd. I know that. No, you're not outraged enough. Well, you see, you're right. <laughs> Sometimes when something is overly absurd, I'm like, okay. You just right. dismiss it. It's dismissed. This, yes, move on. This should disqualify Hillary Clinton from running for president. That's how absurd this is. You know what she's doing, by the way? She's um, not a complete moron. Sounding a fool? She's hanging absurdity on top of baubles, on top of anecdotes. Remember the guy who shot somebody in a movie theater? Yeah, I what, remember. What was that? St- not, I'm not talking about James Holmes. I'm not talking about Aurora. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, wh- I, and why did he do it? I really honestly can't remember. Uh, cell phone. So there you go. She found an incident. Yeah, that guy is the problem. And created a societal problem with gun culture. based upon that story right there. Uh, you know, the left isn't the only group of people who jumped the shark in policy. Uh We've got several of you tweeting me some examples from the right. Let's explore when the right jumps the shark politically on Cane and Cup when we come back. You're listening to Cane and Cup. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Radio Network. Now, this is interesting. When do Republicans go too far? When do they jump the shark? We spent the last hour talking about no matter what they learn, no matter how many times they burn their hands on that stove, Democrats keep reaching for climate change and gun control. But when do Republicans go too far? On Twitter, Catherine Tinnick at Tea Party Woman says Republicans go too far when they attack each other. But on the flip side, Duke Crumpton on Twitter says, Republicans go too far by always being wimps. (laughs) Yeah. When do they go too far? Jonas Miller on Twitter says, Republicans go too far when they try to reach out to African Americans and look like awkward teenagers trying to ask out a girl. Assuming bumbling over their own feet, tripping over their own words, unable to get accomplished what they want to get accomplished. But Hmm. Republicans uh, do go too far. The question is not what is right or wrong, but when you attach yourself to an issue that does not work. Doesn't work. Can I submit? Can I submit one? Yeah, of course. Um, when Republicans try and sound like doctors or scientists and talk about rape. Like, stop doing that. It doesn't work. You don't know what happens. The, the, bot, the, the reproductive system does not shut it down mm. when a woman 
is quote unquote legitimately raped. You don't know what happens with the female anatomy. Stop talking like stop talking about it. Just stick stop. to morality. Stick to morality when it comes to those issues like abortion. Yeah, you're not if you're unless you're a doctor and luckily we have some great elected officials who are doctors and some great candidates who are running who are doctors. Unless you're a doctor, Republicans Stop talking about the female anatomy and what you think it does or does not do. When do Republicans jump the shark? 888-900-3393. Charles Krauthammer says Benghazi has the potential to be an issue the Republicans burn themselves on. He wrote in a column this week, keep the hearings clean Mm -hmm. and strictly fact-oriented. Questions only, no speechifying. Every sentence should end with a question mark. You know, I'll say this. Um, I think Krauthammer is onto something as far as the tone and appearance of these hearings. That often, when you see these uh, these hearings into things like Benghazi, what happens is you look at someone who seems to be speaking for themselves. He's called it speechifying. They seem to be doing something for effect as opposed to necessarily seeking the truth. Let me show you my outrage. It's not unlike what we see from television anchors often. Um, it's more about the image I can paint of myself than the truth I am trying to seek. It's called peacocking, in my estimation, and you don't have to look very far to find it. But I think Krauthammer is right um, that Republicans need to be careful about how they conduct these Benghazi hearings Mm -hmm. and make sure they are truth-seeking, not peacocking. Yeah, he also says in that very same piece, he says... uh These hearings are a big political risk for Republicans. Going into the 2014 election, they stand to benefit from the major issues, Obamacare, the economy, chronic unemployment, from which Benghazi hearings can only distract. Worse, if botched, like previous hearings on the matter, these hearings could backfire against the GOP, as did the 1998 Clinton impeachment proceedings on purely partisan considerations. The hearings are not worth the political risk. Basically, the point he's making is that we have so much going for us right now with Obamacare and the economy and jobs that venturing out again on Benghazi is a political risk. Now, let me just, before folks start turning on Charles Grouthammer, he also says in this in this column, the country does deserve the truth. Right. And they'll get it if the GOP can keep the proceedings clean. So he wants, he he acknowledges there are so many questions about Benghazi still unanswered, and we need those answers. And of course, we're having this new hearing because we just got a huge piece of new information after two years of asking for it that warrants another hearing. But I think he's right that optics matter, appearances matter. We have to take these hearings seriously. And Trey Gowdy who is the Republican overseeing these hearings, needs to be sober and serious. You know I what I'm talking you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Um, and I think you 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 listeners know as well, you you can picture in your mind the the moment in these hearings where it's more about the congressman emoting. It's more about the congressman putting on a performance. It's theater. Yes, it's theater rather than the hard question. And I think I think everyone has seen it and recognizes it. Yeah. And that's what I think has to be avoided. I don't think the 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 argument surely is not 
that the Benghazi hearings are a distraction and should not be held. We must seek the truth on what happened here. Um, but I, 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 uh, I don't know that they, they take away from Obamacare and the economy and all these things, but I know that the, if done wrong, perhaps they can. Well, yeah, and, and to that point, um, most Americans also think that there are still unanswered, unanswered questions about Benghazi that need to be answered. And most Americans think that the Obama administration deliberately misled the American people. Uh, 52%, in fact, to 37%. 37% think the administration shared all the facts. There's another poll. Do you believe Hillary Clinton on, on security or requests about Benghazi? Do you believe she was telling the truth about those security requests in Benghazi? 51% say no. 41% say yes. So there is an appetite. First of all, there is a distrust. And there is an appetite to get to the bottom of who is responsible. And it would be a dereliction of duty if we just said, okay, we've asked enough questions. Hillary Clinton's apologized. She took on all the art board recommendations. Enough's enough. Mm -hmm. We have no one in custody. We still don't know why this attack occurred, why that consulate was understaffed, why reinforcements weren't sent in immediately. We still don't have the answers to those questions. And the fact of the matter is, we just got that crucial piece of information about White House talking points two years after the fact. So this, to me, validates that pushing on Benghazi is finally, is finally working. What responsible person would stop now? Democrats, of course, suggest it's all just a political ploy. It's something to attempt to fundraise off of. Oh, right? they're pissed. Right. They are outraged and You're, appalled. You know what my response to their outrage is on that? So. <laughs> I mean, if it's political, so. Well, I don't disagree. Because something's political, because something's partisan, does that mean it's completely invalidated? Can you not have a partisan search for the truth? Can you not have politics push you towards answers? Yes, clearly you can. Politics, Benghazi was politicized from the beginning. By both sides, yeah. It was born of politics. Yes. This entire issue was born of politics. Politics will be the mechanism that pushes it towards the truth. Or does not, but it will only be done through the lens of politics. And the fact that someone fundraises off of it, please, that's what happens in politics. To keep the issue going, to keep the fight going, to keep the players on the stage, to continue to seek the truth. It doesn't undercut the fact that a truth still must be searched for. Not to mention, I mean, I, I could not agree more. Um, you know, the Democrats who are out there absolutely outraged and appalled that we would fundraise. Elijah Cummings says, this is unfair. I consider it to be a slap in the face, a step back. Um, this is ridiculous and ludicrous, not only just because Democrats have also, of course, fundraised. On national tragedies. They have made a profession out of fundraising on national tragedies. Have you heard of a group called MoveOn.org? I have. Yeah. Democrats politicized and fundraised off of the Iraq War, Hurricane Katrina, the Newtown shooting, and every other school shooting. Just recently, they're fundraising off of the VA deaths in Arizona. 
I mean, I have I have an, a political email in front of me from a candidate who is running in Arizona and very much wants your donation because of the VA deaths. And I am not appalled by this. I am not appalled that Democrats successfully fundraised off of the Iraq war, Hurricane Katrina. You know why? Because they were passionate about these issues. They saw these moments in history as betrayals. I disagree, but that's what they saw. And they said, if you feel betrayed, America, put your money where your mouth is and make sure we elect people that don't betray you again. And I see Benghazi in exactly the same light. Benghazi is a betrayal. And I think the people who betrayed us are in the White House and were in the State Department. And if you don't want those people or people like them to betray us again, you need to elect new people. There is a question remaining. There is a question to be asked. Why amidst a world of uncertainty? Why, as intelligence agencies were de-emphasizing and re-emphasizing the role of al-Qaeda? Why, when they were de-emphasizing, re-emphasizing, and de-emphasizing again— The role of demonstrations. Why, amidst all of that uncertainty, was there certainty in the administration? Why, amidst all of the flying memos and talking points, was there one statement of certainty from within the administration that this was not a failure of broader policy, but rather due to a video? That was a statement of certainty. That question remains. The rest of this is red herring and distraction. No, but you know why. It's peripheral stuff, partisanship, fundraising. This is on the sides. You know, there is something in the middle to focus on, and it's those questions. Yeah. The rest is nonsense. No, you're right. I mean, and and for Democrats to dismiss that as an unimportant question, believe me, if there were a Republican in the White House, that would be the only question that mattered to them. Right. It is total hypocrisy. Um, Foos1791 says on Twitter, Republicans go too far when they wear tri-corner hats and we the people everything. Oh, I don't think so. Stand I, for principles. I think that's adorable. Not, not the terms. I think that's adorable. Um, <laughs> 888-900-3393. Benghazi going too far. Selective outrage. Let's keep it going when we come back on Kane and Cup. You're listening to Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. Eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Kane and Cup returns now. Welcome back. Thanks for spending your Saturday with us. Well, can I just get something off my chest before we do this? Yeah. I'm in a really bad mood. Really? Yeah. Why? Has this has this ever happened to you? Like you, there's there's um an artist you love by artist. I mean like recording artist. Mm-hmm. You love right, and that artist has a new album coming out, and you are so excited. Mm-hmm. You cannot wait. That Tuesday cannot get here fast enough. Um, and then it comes, and it's like the worst thing you've ever heard. Mm-hmm. And your heart just drops. Yeah, that's never happened to me. What? Yeah, no, never. Well, it hasn't happened to me often, but it just <laughs> happened to me last week. I There's an artist I love. I'm actually seeing him in concert in June. Who? I, I mean, I adore this artist. This artist... 
played one of our wedding songs. Not, I mean, in person, but one of his songs was part of our wedding. Um, Blake Shelton. Kenny Chesney. No, no. Some cheesy new country pop. Absolutely not. (laughs) I adore him, and his new album is not just, like, um, different. It's awful. It's awful. And no matter how many times I I listen to it, it's not going to get better. It's awful. And now I'm dreading going to this concert because I think he's only going to play this stupid, terrible, holy hell awful album that I don't want to hear. You just reminded me of growing up in Texas. Uh, you said, it's not just that it's different. That was like the <laughs> ultimate slight coming from your mom or one of your mom's friends. Like, well, you know so-and-so? Well, he's different. <laughs> How do you like my haircut, mom? It's different. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah, because it would be one thing, you know, you get an album and an artist maybe is experimenting, and so it's different than what you expected. Uh-huh. He's on a new path. Who were we talking about? Well, I don't want to blow him up because I still like him. You have to. You can't do this. You can't. Yeah. Well, I don't even think. You already said you adore him. He's not super, super. I mean, I don't know that he's mainstream. So I don't know that you're going to know him or people are going to spit it out. It's Ray LaMontagne. Oh, I like Ray LaMontagne. Oh, my God. I mean, I'm I'm a huge, 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 huge fan. And his new album's no good, huh? Holy hell. It is terrible. And I say I say that with affection. I mean, because I love him. I was so excited. And now I'm worried that I'm going to go to this concert, and I'm still going, and I, I assume he'll still play my favorites, but he's going to want to play every god-awful song off of that new album. Can I tell you why this has never happened to me? Because you don't care enough. I don't care enough. I know. And not unlike climate activists, I feel like music was perfect in the 1970s, and if it didn't evolve from there, that's just fine with me. New albums don't happen in my life. Like, okay. Willie Nelson put out pretty much everything he needs to put out. Sure. And it's over. Sure, sure. I, I understand that. I understand that. But when you find that new artist that is rare, that you really love, that harkens back to the old music that you remember, you want everything that artist does to be great. So I'm, I'm you know, I apologize if I seem a little down today. Yeah. I'm not in a good, I'm not in a good place. I'm, it's dark over here. It's dark in Sorry land. Sorry to hear that. <laughs> Um, I want to talk about the other story that has been, I think, rightly, rightly um, captivating our attention over the past couple of weeks, and that is the Boko Haram kidnapping of those Nigerian girls. You know, it was interesting. I was at the White House Correspondents' Dinner, and you and I have talked about Boko Haram, along with Buck and everyone else at the Real News table, for a couple years now. Boko Haram did not manifest overnight. That's what we do at Real News. We talk about real news before it becomes hashtags. No, that's right. That's right. And I was at the White House Correspondents' Dinner on Saturday wondering, wondering to myself, how many people in this room know what Boko Haram is, what it's about? And I know it's in, it's, it's in the news now, so probably more than would have two weeks ago, but still. And now um, it's wall-to-wall coverage on a lot of news stations. Rightly, I mean, this is a this is a significant story. It's an outrageous story. Um, it is a stomach churning story. They are not good people. They are comedically villainous. The leader of Boko oh, Haram yeah, is yeah. comedically villainous. Well, Can I not just comedically, give you... but like cartoonish. Well, okay, fine, but uh, um, no, actually, it becomes comedic at some point, and I don't mean to undercut the villainy of who this man is. But did you see the clip? I know you've seen the speech where he says, you know, I have the women. I will sell the women. We sell women. I will have the women. But then he says, listen, you're either with us, true Islam, or you are with 
the Obama. You are with the mm-hmm. Clinton. You are with the Bush. And do not let me forget the Abraham Lincolns. Yeah, this is Abu Bakr Shakao. And um, yeah, it's almost like out of a diehard movie. He's like a diehard villain. Cartoonishly, comedically villainous. It's like, that's not real. Is that really, that, that exists? Yeah, obviously, obviously not, not a funny situation. But everyone seems to be engaged in this story now. And, um, you know, Hollywood pop culture, politicians are now starting into this, this activist campaign to hashtag bring back our girls. Hashtag bring our girls home. Yeah, you know, I have opinions on this whole concept of hashtag activism. Here's what I think, Essie. Um, I, I think it's even bigger than hashtags. I believe that many that vote on the left see their vote as their moral act. If I vote a certain way, it validates my morality. Yeah. I don't need to give to charity because I vote Democrat. Right. And the statistics uh, so bear that out. So I'm a good out. person. I'm a good person. Exactly. Right. I'm a liberal. And I think that proxy, that cheap shallow gesture of checking a box is even being reduced to if I tweet, I am a good person. Yeah. If well, I I've tweet, done my duty. I've done my social duty. I right. hashtagged bring home our girls. And I'm not saying it's wrong to do that. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying bringing attention to an issue is wrong. I'm saying it is indicative of a society that wants moral validation in very cheap ways. And Twitter and hashtagging has reduced us to mm-hmm. thinking that is all I had to do. And now I can feel really good about myself. I'm a good person. And in fact, what it is, Essie, is people trying to peacock, I've used that word several times Mm -hmm. today, themselves, trying to project an image of themselves. They're less trying to help an issue and more trying to say, see, I'm self-righteous. Look at me. Yeah, there's more to say about this. And and this is not the only example of hashtag activism that I want to get to. So stay tuned. More on Cane and Cup. You're listening to Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. Kane and Cup. What are you doing? What is all this? Oh, he's uh, helping me sort my receipts. I'm being audited. You're being audited? What for? Oh, I contributed money to a charity that turned out to be fraudulent. It's really very boring. When was this? Well, a long, long time ago <laughs> in a galaxy far, far away. I remember you uh, donated to some volcano thing on our first date. Volcano, really? Oh, wait a minute. Don't tell me that that was... Something to drink? What do you think that would impress me? You've got me all wrong. I was thinking only of the poor Krakatoan. Like you'd make this donation for 50 bucks and I'd start tearing my clothes off? Those brave Krakatoans. (laughs) East of Java. (laughs) Who sacrificed so much for so long. Now you're being audited because of it. See, that's karma. No, that's karma. (laughs) <laughs> I told you, I can, I will, I will 
find a way to get Seinfeld into every show. Between you working Seinfeld into everything and me working Big Lebowski into everything, yeah. we're going to just might, just might bore everyone to death. Or, no, they should just start <laughs> paying us money. I mean, we're just promoting them. It's like we're running syndicated Seinfeld on this show. But I thought that was, um, you know, the um, there's sort of a casual cavalier attitude around um, these international episodes where we think by sending a check to the Krakatoans or uh, We're not even doing that hashtagging or 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 the modern day equivalent the modern day equivalent tweet hashtag hashtagging we've solved the problems we're good people we are attractive to the opposite sex right we are uh, morally upright and we have done our duty and you're seeing that now i think with uh the boko haram Episode. It's an important issue. It's an important story. I'm glad it's getting so much coverage, finally. Apparently, Hillary Clinton was asked to designate Boko Haram a terrorist organization two years ago. And because of some academic protests, decided, I'm not ready to do that yet. Boko Haram has been slaughtering Christians across Nigeria for years. In three years, they killed 900 people. Going into churches, slaughtering the people in the churches taking down villages. I appreciate your hashtag. It yeah. is important. Yeah. It is not new. There's another aspect to this that I think you'd probably agree with, Will. Um, that the hashtag, because Twitter is limited to 140 characters, it is impossible to effectively and completely communicate all of the different aspects of a complicated foreign policy story in a hashtag. And therefore, um, there's a danger in sort of overstating, understating, ineffectively stating the cause. Um, Tom Rogan, who occasionally writes for uh, National Review, has a piece in The Telegraph this week that I thought was really interesting. It's called Boko Haram and Twitter. Does the hashtag campaign understand what it's asking for? And he makes a really interesting point. He says, the hashtag Bring Back Our Girls movement, as befits a campaign founded on 140 character messages, encourages simplistic responses. In recent days, writers at outlets, including CNN, the Christian Science Monitor, and Think Progress, have explicitly and implicitly called for the U.S. military to join the hunt. He says, in principle, I have no problem with this. But nevertheless, it's disturbing that so many commentators can manifest no interest in Boko Haram outrages, but then at the drop of a tweet, call for troops to be sent in. Do they have any idea just how hazardous this is as a strategy? So when you compare this, hashtag bring back our girls, which he says is a hashtag send our troops into Nigeria, with Syria and the death of 200,000 people and the reluctance on the part of the American people to involve ourselves even with a hashtag campaign in Syria. It seems blithely, blithely oblivious to the inconsistency in both foreign policy and message. So these are people from Michelle Obama to Hollywood celebrities who are saying implicitly, hashtag send troops to Nigeria. And yet would I imagine actively campaign against involving ourselves in Syria where 200,000 people have died, many of which were children, many of which were killed in chemical weapons attacks. 
it just to me reflects a total lack of awareness. And because Twitter is so easy and accessible, it encourages this easy, irresponsible activism. And when you explore that moronic inconsistency, and I'm going to say moronic inconsistency because it has to be pushed back on to the extent that it cloaks itself in morality. Should you question my hashtag, you are immoral. Should you question my hashtag, you don't care about these young girls. What have you to say about Syria then? How did you select this? But no one's asking them. This selective morality, this selective outrage. Self-righteousness. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. That's how you can excuse the selectiveness because it's not about the issue. It's not about actually helping. It's about what I am projecting about myself. Don't you understand? I'm just trying to say I'm a good person and you should pay attention to me. Exactly. That's what it's about. If we can, Essie. Yeah. I'd love to talk about what's going on in Beverly Hills. Is this? Yeah, absolutely. Because it's, 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 it's along those same lines. Exactly. It's selective outrage, selective application of morality. And the funny thing is, what has to be reiterated is, it's not to say the outrage is wrong. You should be upset yeah. that 200 little girls have disappeared in Nigeria. You should have an emotional, compelling desire to want to help them. And in Beverly Hills, where the Sultan of Brunei owns the Beverly Hills Hotel, a congregating place for the Hollywood elite, for the movie stars and producers to sit and plan their next project. And, by the way, the Bel Air Hotel are owned by a conglomerate which is owned by the Sultan of Brunei. Well, in the past couple weeks, the Sultan of Brunei, a tiny nation in the South Pacific connected to the island of Borneo uh, in the Indonesian island chain, Adopted Sharia law. Now, you know what Sharia law is. We all know, for example, punishments under Sharia law include, should you leave Islam, you should be stoned to death. You should die. If you cheat on your husband or wife, adultery is punishable by death. Homosexuality, there's a debate here on whether or not they should be thrown from the tallest tower in town or buried alive. But either way, the condemnation is death. The Sultan of Brunei wants Sharia law for, Brun- for Brunei, and Hollywood liberals are like, well, we cannot then frequent the Beverly Hills Hotel, also owned by you. Good. You shouldn't. But it, I genuinely have this curiosity, I see. Why here? Why now? Well, yeah. It seems as though Hollywood has just discovered that places exist where this terrible thing kind of thing happens. Um, let me disavow them of that naivete. Brunei is one of 82 countries where adultery and homosexuality are punishable uh, in many cases by death or by very, very harsh laws that we would consider intolerant, uh, dictatorial, um, and and out of step with with modern human rights. 82 countries. Uh, Many of which, I would imagine, uh, Hollywood kind of folks like to visit, uh, like to like to uh, espouse and celebrate as wonderful places. Again, there is a glaring uh, lack of awareness about the rest of the world here. I want to tell you about a place. Imagine a place where police use online dating services to entrap and arrest gay men. Imagine a country that arrests 14-year-old girls for adultery and then performs an invasive virginity test on her. Imagine a place where a woman is sentenced to death by stoning for adultery. 
That place is not Brunei, although Brunei seems to be moving in that direction. That place that I was talking about is the United Arab Emirates. You might be familiar with Dubai, Abu Dhabi, these glittering wealthy cities that Hollywood elites and very moneyed people like to travel and and stay in style and shop at Louis Vuitton and drive Maybachs and, um, you know, flash their money around. Tigers on a gold chain. Oh. Maybox. We're getting into like a Lord song. Yeah. I'm saying. Uh, oh. I can't help myself. Sugar pie, <laughs> honey bunch. I mean, I, now that's some new music I love. You're Lord, a, that is a good place. song. That is a good song. Royals, Don't do that again. Royals. Wow. So uh, United Arab Emirates, uh, you know, if you're not familiar, uh, did you see Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol? Unfortunately, I did. Yeah, unfortunately, I did too. It it sucked. It was it was predominantly filmed there. Filmed there. Justin Timberlake will be performing in Abu Dhabi this month. Jennifer Lopez performed in Dubai last March. The last Fast and Furious, Fast and Furious number seven, is reportedly filming there right now. George Clooney, Ben Affleck, the Kardashians—they've all been popular guests in money-soaked Arab Emirates. And let me tell you, the money flows both ways. This is a fascinating story. Abu Dhabi Media, which is wholly owned by the UAE, uh, invests hundreds of millions of dollars in Hollywood film productions. Mm-hmm. Matt Damon starred in a movie called Promised Land about the evils of hydraulic fracking. Funded by? It was financed by Abu Dhabi Media. That's right. An anti-fracking movie was subsidized by the oil-rich uh-huh. United Arab Emirates. Uh-huh. Okay. That's fascinating. We're, we're, now we're moving is, into other hypocrisies. Is yes. that right? right? Yes. I can, I can only concentrate on one hypocrisy at a time. Now, I very much doubt that Hollywood will stop going to Dubai and Abu Dhabi. So, or stop accepting Arab Emirates money. Because that would be inconvenient. You know what is convenient? Not going to Brunei. But no, I'm. But I'm genuinely curious, Essie. Why continue to take the money? But it, it, what is the issue with the what hotel? What do you mean? Well, I know. What do you mean? But what? It, okay, then why here? Why with the hotel? What is it? Is because it because it's, it's easy? convenient? It's this easy? is a hotel in a town they live in. So is it a NIMBY issue? They, it's, don't, you can have your Sharia. You can fund my movies. Don't bring it to my backyard. Is it? There might be part of that. Is it but a it's convenience also, issue? It is too easy, Will. It is too easy to not go to this far-off place called Brunei that I believe Hollywood celebrities couldn't find on a map. And it is too easy to not go to the Beverly Hills Hotel when you live in the town and own a home there. But and there are plenty other hotels willing to host your movie premiere or record launch or Lindsay Lohan's entourage. It's too easy. But it's hard to turn down hundreds of million dollars to fund your movie. That's hard. It's hard not to go to Dubai when you were promised a million dollars to perform there. So there we go. And that's my point in the end, I think. Our morality, our outrage, the things we stand up for, it's cheap. It's easy. That's where we apply them. That's the explanation for our selective morality. That's the explanation for our selective outrage. Yes, let's make it easy. I'll do that. Is it easy? I I don't want to go out of my way. Right. But what they don't re- remember, uh, realize, of course, is sometimes actually these these kinds of cheap and easy activism uh, has has negative effects. Putting hundreds of people out of work with this boycott at the Beverly Hills Hotel. 
Americans, Americans and migrant workers out of work in our backyard. They're putting people out of work so that they don't have to go to Brunei or so that they can feel like good people for protesting Sharia law, which also exists in a dozen, dozens of other countries. And that's the that's in the end. That's that's what it is. It's an excuse to do nothing more. I did something excuse to do nothing more. I am moral. I am moral. Right. And again, let's say kudos to Hollywood for caring about this issue. Care better. Care harder. (laughs) I mean, come on, people. You've got the money. You've got the time. You've got the resources. It's not just about the hashtag or the boycotting the hotel in the town you live in. It is if it's just about you. When we come back, a little more on Kane and Cup. You're listening to Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. Kane and Cobb. 888-900-3393. It's been serious this morning. I don't want you to think we forgot Game of Bros. Oh, no, that's coming up. In the next hour. But uh, we only have like a minute or two before we have to take a break. I just wanted to show you something. Look what I found. This is wrapping paper. Mm-hmm. Covered in glasses. Mm-hmm. Like eyeglasses. Mm-hmm. Like my glasses. Mm-hmm. Do you see this? Mm-hmm. I bought like eight rolls of it. <clears throat> this, this is, is this is a present for my mom. I'm going to see her today. Like your superhero uniform, your glasses. Right, right. Yeah. And what I'm wondering, and maybe our listeners can chime in too um, on Twitter and let me know, how grotesque would it be if I like did a bathroom in my house in this wallpaper? Um, is can, that like really? Can I help you? Egotistical. Very grotesque. It's grotesque. It's grotesque. Well, I think I mean, it's kind of cute. It's, uh, yeah, right. But, I mean, don't half-step it. I think what you do is you get a 10 by 10 uh, commissioned art painting of your face. No, no, no. <laughs> That's different, right? That has to be worse than covering my bathroom in eyeglasses wallpaper. The fact that you ended that sentence with a question mark is all you need to know. That's different, right? Right? That's different. That's worse, this is right? better, right? You don't need people asking those questions, right? But I want to do it. I can tell. What if I did it in, like, a mud room? Is that better? No. What if I did it in a laundry room? What if I did it in a basement? You could get neon lights out front on the roof saying S.E. Cup House. No, no, <laughs> no. I just like it. It's adorable. It's adorable. They made they made wrapping paper out of my glasses. Why are Republicans for minimum wage? Kane and Cup, when we come back. <laughs> You're listening to Kane and Cup. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. On the Blaze Radio Network. 888-900-3393. Welcome back to Kane and Cup. I am Will Kane. I'm S.E. Cup. You can follow us on Twitter at Will Kane and at S.E. Cup. We spent some of the morning talking about when, not just Democrats, but Republicans jump the shark. When they attach themselves to an inevitable loser 
of a political issue. What about when Republicans stop, well... Believing in stuff? Being Republicans. And they totally collapse in front of your eyes. That happened this week. Yeah, it did. It was gross. It was gross. Um, There I am watching TV, as I do, and it's Mitt Romney. I like Mitt Romney. He's a good guy, smart guy. And before my very eyes, here's what Mitt Romney has to say. I, for instance, uh, as you know, a a part company with many of the conservatives in my party on the issue of the minimum wage. I think we ought to raise it. I'm sorry, John, can you play that again? (laughs) I, for instance, uh, as you know, a a part company with many of the conservatives in my party on the issue of the minimum wage. I think we ought to raise it. You want one more time? Can I just, um, I just need a moment. Um, well, you shouldn't. This is not a surprise coming from Mitt Romney. Well, no, let me just remind our our listeners that Mitt Romney opposed raising the minimum wage in 2012 and supported it in 20, uh, 2008. It's awkward. What do you say? 28? I understand, 2008. I understand where that, that came from. Thanks. Um, so he's not, he doesn't know what he thinks on this issue. He thinks whatever, he, you know, someone tells him to think on this issue. But going back as far as 2002... He's yeah. advocated for raising the minimum wage. And did so in Massachusetts. Exactly. Uh, but 2012, he had to say he did not want it raised. And so he did. And right. so he did. Now he's he's coming back onto the other side. Why does he want the minimum wage rain, uh, raised? One, our party is all about more jobs and better pay. Well, that's true. But I have to imagine someone like Mitt Romney knows basic economics and that is by raising the minimum wage, you do not create a single job, not a single job. First of all, you have to have a job with raising the minimum wage to, to affect you. And it has to be a minimum wage job. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, raising the minimum wage probably leads to um, less hiring. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so um, we are the party of more jobs, which is why we should not raise the minimum wage. He also says we should raise the minimum wage. Because we need better outreach among minorities. Oh, as a political mechanism. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Why not just become Democrats? Mitt Romney, Mitt Romney's failing as a Republican is the same one that Democrats have, and that is a lack of humility. He's a really smart guy. He is. He's a really smart guy, and the, the Achilles heel of really smart people is that they can figure out solutions to every problem. Mitt Romney, nor any other really smart economist, knows what the threshold is on how much you can force raise the minimum wage before you have a negative impact on jobs. So they always are, that's the balancing act, right? Yeah. And it's exposed by saying, why don't you raise the minimum wage to $50 an hour? Well, that's ridiculous. Why? Because it would kill jobs. We know that. Right. But not at $11 an hour? No, they know the secret formula. That's the point. They know the exact right number. It's the failing of smart people, a lack of humility. Yeah, but what I hate about what Mitt Romney said is that he wasn't even suggesting he knows the secret formula. He was suggesting we have to do it to get more votes. Mm. Well, there's a lot of things we could do, Mitt Romney, to get more votes. Probably nominating you is not one of them, clearly. Look, I like Mitt Romney. I really do. But this this is repulsive to me. This is ignoring economics, abandoning principle... If he ever had this as a principle, I don't know because he's flip-flopped on it a bunch. But abandoning conservative economic principle 
because of crass politics. But again, there's a lot we could do if we just wanted more votes. Yes. But again, I'm not surprised this coming from Mitt Romney. Well, okay, Fair point. Fair point. But there are others. Oh, there are others. Uh, Let's hear from my good friend, someone you and I have both interviewed. Someone I know well. I like this person. I respect this person. Let's listen to Rick Santorum. This is one I don't get. If if the Republicans want to go out and say we're against the minimum wage, then go out and make the argument to the American public and 80-some percent of the American public who believes we should have a minimum wage. Again, seems to me the argument Rick Santorum is making is that public opinion is against us, and so we must raise the minimum wage. He seems to be making a... uh an argument against the existence of minimum wage. He's combating the libertarian thought that there should be no minimum wage whatsoever. So he has not yet called for a raise of the minimum wage, at least not in the clip you just he did. He did later in the clip, but yes. I mean, I think oh. he has issue with both, of, with both of those things. And, you know, Rick Santorum is, um, he's got a new book out, and he's talking a lot about um, blue-collar workers. Yes. He's talking a lot about the working man and returning conservative messaging to that group of people as opposed to catering to the 1%. Rick Santorum has always been a blue-collar economic populist. Yes. He has talked about raising trade restrictions to keep manufacturing here at home, to favor the manufacturing industry through tax subsidies and so forth. He has not been a conservative-slash-libertarian on economic policy. So I guess I could say, although I have to say it does surprise me some degree to then go into minimum wage – uh, this coming from from Rick Santorum. Yeah, but he's not, at least in this, he's not making an economic argument for raising the minimum wage. He's making a political argument yeah. that 80% of the country wants it raised. And so the, therefore we should raise it. Again, I think that's repulsive. Okay. And Rick Santorum is a principled guy. It's what I admire about him most, that even in the face of tremendous advers- a- 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 adversity and mocking, for daring to talk about social issues the way he does, he continues to do well, it. Well, you and I have disagreed on Rick Santorum. I don't think he's near as conservative as the image created of him is, at least when it comes to economics. No, but I, what I'm saying is He's not is unlike I like, Mike Huckabee. Mike Huckabee has the image of conservatism, yeah. but he's a populist. Yeah, I don't disagree, but what I like about Rick Santorum is that he is courageous and he stands on principle. I don't know why he's, he's going down this path. Well, Kane, he's not the only one. You have another? I do. It's a sad it's a sad state of affairs. Let's hear from Mr. Minnesota Nice, Tim Pawlenty. By the way, the Republicans should support a reasonable increase in the minimum wage. You know, if you're gonna talk the talk about being for the middle class working person, if we have a minimum wage, it should be reasonably adjusted from time to time. And for all the Republicans who come on and talk about, you know, we're for the blue collar worker, we're for the working person, there's some basic things that we should be for. One of them is the reasonable increases from time to time in the minimum wage. Well, this goes to your point. He seems to have the secret formula about what a reasonable increase should be. Exactly. And look, Tim Pawlenty is another person um, who I like, I know, I respect, but who's also been a little, I say, squishy on economic policy. I don't know that he's really stood fast on a lot of, on all of these principles. And I think one of the reasons... He probably got out of um, the 2012 race as early as he did is he didn't want to have to, you know, take those hard, tough stances in a primary that was going to force him to be very right leaning on it on a lot of these issues, because I just don't think he's his heart is there. 
You know, if somebody from the left were sitting here with us right now, they would say, that my appeal to humility, you don't know what a reasonable minimum wage is, you don't know what the threshold is, would fall on deaf ears. It's like, well, you know, we'll debate that. Doesn't matter. Just come on. Come with me and we'll debate whether or not it's $11.10 or $11.20. But you're missing the point. Hmm. The point is you will never arrive at that equilibrium. You will never get employment just right with wages as high as you can possibly get them. The only mechanism that has found that equilibrium on anything is the chaos of the free market, Mm. not an enlightened few. Right. Well, right. The other aspect that bothers me in all of this, and this is a separate thing, but I think worth mentioning, all three of the clips I just played, MSNBC. He said it on MSNBC. Yes. Uh, two were Morning Joe. One was Chuck Todd. I don't know why. I mean, uh, is it something about being in that environment where you feel like you have to acquiesce? I mean, I've been, I've, I, I've worked at MSNBC. I've been on Bill Maher. So have you. You know what it feels like to be in a liberal environment with all liberal eyes on you. They, you were expected to say something crazy conservative and then you're expecting them to attack you and you sort of brace for that fight and maybe you feel like, okay, if I just acquiesce on something, it'll buy me a little goodwill and then we can have a normal conversation and they'll see me as a, as a cool reasonable. conservative. A, a reasonable conservative. Maybe that's what happens on MSNBC when these guys go on there. And I maybe think- had they been on Fox, they wouldn't have felt the need to either bring up the minimum wage or acquiesce on that issue. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's definitely a temptation, especially when you're a guest. Well, yeah. Yeah. When you're there every day, hmm, yeah. you realize that doesn't work. No, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. But when you're a guest, when you're sitting at the you table- You start fighting assumptions and baked-in premises. Oh, totally. Totally. But when you're a guest, it can be a little intimidating, and you want to sound reasonable, mm. and you want them to like you. Even if even if you don't you don't know that's what's happening in your mind, even if it's subconscious, you want them to like you. And so you say things like, I part company with many conservatives on this issue. Well, bully for you. That doesn't make you smart or right. Bully for you that you part company with conservatives on basic economics. It's like I'm sitting in the room with Teddy Roosevelt. Who says bully for you? Oh. When least, is the last time can pronounce in it. casual conversation you honestly said to someone... Is this not casual conversation? Bully for you. <laughs> I don't know. I say it all the time. Um, news you can lose in Game of Bros when we come back on Kane and Cup. This is Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. Cup return. We've got to get to some of the biggest news stories of the week. False. The ones that just cannot escape your radar. Um, in a segment we have entitled News You Can Lose. Now, these stories have been pre vetted and selected by our News You Can Lose correspondent, SE Cup, 
She yeah, selected these are not, these every are not, one okay, of these Okay, that's stories. fine. That's fine. It's my fault. Fine. But these are not the biggest stories of the week. Don't mislead anyone. These are these are the smallest stories of the week. It is it's in the title. It's news you can lose. You are free to lose this news once you hear it. It can go in one ear and out the other. It's news you can lose. Selected by SE Cup. Okay. We get it. If we get in trouble for this segment, no, it's you don't my get it. fault. You, you don't get it yet, but you will in about five minutes. <laughs> okay. The first news story that you can lose. Dead sperm whale no longer for sale on eBay. This is out of where else? Canada. Dateline Canada. Where <laughs> where where doorknobs are banned. Mm-hmm. Um the mayor of Cape St. George in Newfoundland found a dead sperm whale washed up on the beach, 40 foot. What did he decide to do with it? Sell it on eBay. Got to get rid of it. Apparently, there are no services to do this in Canada. So he wanted to uh, offer it up as an item for sale. Started the bidding at 99 cents. Interested parties pushed the price past $2,000. However... He had to take it off because selling a dead whale is not legal on eBay. I love that he found a whale. <laughs> I'm going to put this on eBay. I mean, it's amazing. Like, how, how far into the process did that occur to him? Like, you find a whale, you think, what do we do with that? Should we roll it back in the ocean? It's dead. Okay. Well, I could taxidermy that guy and put him on my wall. I got an idea. eBay. Let's sell it on eBay. Let's make some money off of this sucker. Um, he's decided that since he's not allowed to sell it, they're willing to drop the 99 cent price down to zero, which basically means if you, if you're in the market for a dead sperm whale, you know where to find one. Now he's just trying to get a cleanup effort. Now, well, that, that was the point in the beginning. It's just disguised. Come and take our whale away because though Canada has a strategic maple syrup preserve, they do not have any mechanisms to rid beaches of dead whales. What kind of whales? Sperm whale. Dateline, South Dakota, the second story pre-selected by our correspondent, S.E. Cup, on News You Can Lose. South Dakota-based congressman um, Steve Hickey has been on a crusade. Steve what? Steve Hickey. Oh. In that state to draw attention to the state's medical community to sound the alarms about the dangers of anal sex. Oh. That's right. Oh. He has written a letter to the editor to the Argus leader. That sounds real. Imploring. The medical community to pay attention to this issue. It did not get published, but the editor of the Argus Leader invited him to come on and debate the dangers on his show. Yeah, he did. <laughs> and Congressman Hickey uh, stuck to his guns. Listen. Mm-hmm. Do you tell your patients to wash their hands before they eat? Why? Because you touch a doorknob and and you don't want to get it inside your body. But and here, you know, I. I, I Hesitate to get crude again, but Dr. Whelan, is it okay for you know eight of your friends that you're in love with to take a dump in your bed and you can sleep in it all year long? Yeah, don't be crude. Yeah, point of fact, he did not hesitate to be crude. <laughs> he actually did not hesitate to be crude. He so, went headlong into crude. So this is a unique campaign strategy. <laughs> <laughs> he is a concerned congressman, Will. How dare you? How dare you? This is the issue he's chosen to run on state rep steve hickey is serious about this issue okay dateline bakersfield california california teen claimed to have given uh, um let's say cupcakes with bodily fluids in them 
to bullies in his school. I'm sorry, in her school. Um, There was also, so there were, there were, um, let me say, let me say it this way. Yeah, let's see how you pull this off. Okay. She said, after she disseminated these cupcakes out to, to, to bullies in her school, she said that they were laced with, we'll say, male bodily fluids. I'm, I don't follow. And also um, hair from a certain part of your body. I'm confused. Would you be more specific? Nope. <laughs> no, I will not. Now, cops were called, obviously. And they seemed to think that she was lying. That it was a prank, that they were just normal cupcakes, and she just wanted to get back at uh, at bullies in her school. And in fact, it was a lie. Her cupcakes were made with soy sauce and mayonnaise and with mustard. With bad ingredients. With bad ingredients, not what she claimed. Yeah, mayonnaise, barbecue, well, and soy sauce, um, which is gross. Why? You, there's, what? what? There's a commonality here. You know what's weird? I was doing. I'm not joking. You selected these stories. When I was selecting news, you can lose stories. First of all, I had like six of them, and oh, that's a, that's even better. We now know you edited it down to the sperm whale. I did. I cupcakes. did. The other three did not have any of these weird um, themes. They just weren't as interesting. I don't think uh. they didn't quite make the cut. I promise the next news you can lose. Well, I can't make any promises, but the next news you can lose probably won't be as um, blue as these stories were. Well, bully for you. Well, bully for you. (laughs) Well, bully for you, you won't go so blue on the next news you can lose because those are definitely some stories. I'm not going to play prude here, but you can lose those stories. Um, Lose them. Lose them. It's in the time. It's news you can lose. Lose it. Except for the fact they're real. Oh, they're real. But you can lose it. Viewers, listeners, in one ear, out the other. They're gone. I just wanted to get them out there into the ether. Now they're gone. Lose it. Focus on other things. Get on with your weekends. Have a wonderful Mother's Day. Spend time with your families. And do not think about the three stories we just told you about. Hey, Ken. They're pollutants. They are pollutants. Um... They're exactly that. Um, hey, can a bro oh. do yoga? If he's using a broga mat, he can. Does a bro do yoga? I mm. don't think that. I don't know that you can You can do that. What Let's can, not ask you. Let's ask our bros. What can a bro do? Product? Manscaping? Yoga? Do these things disqualify you from being a bro? Mm. 888-900-3393 on Twitter at Will Kane and at SE Cup. We'll talk to you in a few minutes. This is Kane and Cup, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network.
Wine and Cup. Welcome back. I, uh, this week came across an awesome website. It's brogamats.com. They sell yoga mats for dudes. That's their tagline. Yoga mats for dudes. What is a yoga mat for dudes? Like selling panties for men. Or like Spanx. Manx. What is a yoga mat for dudes? You ask. Well, I'll tell you. If you go to brogamats.com, apparently it's a yoga mat that looks like a burrito. So stupid. Or a yoga mat that looks like a log. Or a yoga mat that looks like a quiver of arrows. Will, I have pictures. Let me see. That top one there is the burrito. (laughs) (laughs) The log. These are the arrows. And then there's a lumberjack. You know what the only thing less, bro, than doing yoga? Oh. It's having your own yoga mat. No, it's a a broga mat. It's a broga mat, which makes it better, Will. You know, I think... I think we need to put this to a panel in Game of Bros that a bro can pull off yoga. I think. Let me. Th- I'm thinking out loud here with me. Just bear with me. I'm thinking out loud. But I know this. I'm going to work into that opinion. I know this. If you're showing up with your own yoga mat and your own gear, broga mat. <laughs> that's a problem. But it's a broga mat. It makes it okay. It needs to appear spontaneous. Hey, I just. Uh, I just happened to find my way in here. Thought I'd try this out. Totally unprepared. I don't own any equipment. What is this yoga thing everybody's into? But <laughs> wouldn't you let not me, got my gear going me, to yoga? Okay, don't. <laughs> you don't want to know what Will just did in this studio. Um, <laughs> let me just challenge you here. Wouldn't a bro go to a yoga class to meet chicks? Somebody tweeted me that actually. Don't you think that's what a bro would do? That's actually a very bro thing to do. Right? Well, let's uh, take it to- I already to, see nodding. Let's Let's, let's take it, it to our bros. Let's roll the music. Johnny boy. <laughs> For game of bros. <laughs> pitiful, pitiful. Our panel of bros is down to two this week. We have got both Brian and John on the microphones. Let's start with a very simple question. Bros are question. dropping like flies. Start with a very simple question, Brian. Can a bro do yoga? So, like, if a bro is going to do yoga to meet chicks... Then totally. 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 What's a a bad reason? Stay in shape. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) To use his new new broga mat? It it doesn't count as a workout. I'm sorry. Can can a bro... Does it make it more bro-ish if he has a broga mat? have you ever done yoga? Yeah, thank you, John. The question that's being begged, have you done yoga? I have engaged in that activity. Did you call it broga? I did not. No. <laughs> Why did you go? Well, I have some background in the fitness industry, and I figured uh... <laughs> the formality with which he gives his I answer. Know, I know. I know. I figured I should know what I'm talking about when I tell my clients not that... to do yoga. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So there you go. All John, right, bro number two. Bro number two, John. Can a bro do yoga? A bro can do anything. No. Oh! <laughs> You know, and John, he can do it better than you. John pays attention because uh, a couple weeks ago we tried to define what a bro is, and a bro is someone with outsized confidence. Mm-hmm. A bro can do anything. I actually really like that answer. John, have you done yoga? Do I look like I work out? 
So that's a no. <laughs> that's a no. Um, I've got another question. But I, but no. But hold on. But to, <laughs> I've done yoga. I'm gonna admit it. I have done. Oh, yoga. you look whoa. like you've done yoga. I, I'm, not, I'm about to fight you. This just got real. I, that, that, that thing, that statement had more baked into it than just an observation. <laughs> I just like needling people. I'm sorry. Uh, this just got real. Brian, I've done, I've done um, hot yoga, right? Bikram, one where they heat it up. I have to say it was, it was a workout. Well, anything in a, like a 90 degree room would be a workout. Sitting in a 90 degree room would be a workout. You're going to sweat. You can sweat eating hot wings. That's the broest thing I've ever heard. And he just, that was an awesome rebuttal. That is not a workout, <laughs> eating hot wings. <laughs> you know what? For a bro, it is. For a bro, it is. I've got another question uh, along these lines. Like, what are things bros cannot, should not do? Um, I think we've determined bros can do yoga if it's under the guise of meat and chicks. Can a bro use product? And let me get specific. Let's start with like hair gel, hair products. Bro number one. Absolutely. Oh, okay. And yeah, and again, that that's tied to reasoning again. I want to look good for the chicks. For the chicks, okay. So, so I, yeah. Bro number two, hair products? Um, I think so. You think so? I don't know. I don't use hair products, so I don't know. But How I think- far can the manscaping go? Wait, wait, wait. You know, you, you're, you're evolving. Don't oh. leave the products behind yet. I'm with Brian. You have just asked. Can a tiger have stripes? Bros <laughs> have product. Oh. Bros wear axe. They don't just wear any product, by the way. It's axe. Oh. Did you leave the house with your axe on, bro? Um, um, I know different guys, different different bros. The bros I know would probably be more in the like old spice variety of of bro. Old bros. Or like polo. Yeah, you and I talked about this yesterday. And we know I, different bros. There gets to be a uh, a gray fuzzy line between the bro and the Guido, right? Like the, <laughs> and it's, in your mind, it's like this, this. Not in mine. There's a very clear line between the bro a and DMZ the Guido. It's in my mind. There's a crossover, and in well, that gray, there, shade, there's always that gradation from <laughs> one, you know, category to the next, right? Sure, sure, sure. And I think to your point now that you're moving to question number three on manscaping, we're going to encounter that same problem. Okay, well, manscaping. How far can you go with manscaping? Can a can a bro wax? Bro number one. I'm not supportive of that. Shaving a little mm-hmm. bit, maybe for you know a bodybuilding competition. Or swimming. <laughs> uh, swimming. That's another good one. But if it's not for competing <laughs> or anything that it involves a trying to get bodybuilding competition, forget it. <laughs> Brian works out. So if it doesn't involve competing uh, or picking up chicks. Forget about it. But it's such a bro thing. That's Dude, a good answer, I think. Did you shave your chest? Bro, I'm going to a bodybuilding competition. <laughs> well, didn't you hear what he I just did. said about picking up chicks? Yeah. If it doesn't involve picking up chicks, then why do it? I mean, that's a bro. That's that's the bro mantra? I think so. That's the brantra? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but Wait. it becomes the the Jersey Shore thing. In a, so look, mm. all right. So That's I'm, where I'm from, I'm help, so I can help you out oh, with that. Oh, there it is, Brian. <laughs> he is your guy on the DMZ. Mm. He's yeah. on the DMZ between Bro and, and Guido. Yeah, bro right. And Mook. Exactly. <laughs> and these are highly vetted issues. These are ones debated from back porches in Texas to your Jersey Shore beach house. Dude, did I... What, how about the leg hair? Should I trim the leg hair? uh what, what, what gar- a bro would not trim his leg hair. I wouldn't touch it. It'd be a question of what guard you use. 
<laughs> Went with one guard on the legs, huh? See that? That was a bad choice. <laughs> I don't think I don't think a bro would shave his legs. What about his chest, Brian? For bodybuilding competition. That's it. <laughs> That's it. What about trimming? What about putting a guard on the clippers and getting after your chest? No. no. Then what about the neckline like, at the top of the chest hair? No. Not, I agree with Brian. The bros the I know would he's not, not do that. He's not telling the truth. He's not telling the truth. You're stuck on Guido, bro. No. John? That's not I, bro. I, I, I don't know. I think I'm with Will on this. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I just don't need... I don't think we know what a bro really is. <laughs> <laughs> After all these weeks? I have another question. We're making it up as we go along. <clears throat> I have another one. Let's talk about modes of transportation that are befitting of bros. Can a bro... Drive a Prius. Bro no number way. one. No way. I agree. Bro Can you pull it two? off ironically? No. <laughs> bros are not ironic. Bros are literal. Right. Bros are very literal. Correct. There's no irony. If you're wearing an ironic t-shirt, you are a hipster. You are not a bro. You are mortal enemies, in fact. I uh, I kind of agree with you guys. Yeah. Uh, you can't, but can, you a can't bro, a can a bro ride a motorcycle? Hmm. Yes. What kind really? of a motorcycle? No, what now kind of I think you're getting into greaser. No, you're, you're, what, what think, you're thinking Harley. Again, I think, bully for you and greasers. You... The greasers and the socials. Essie's thinking of uh, of a Harley. But, yeah. you know, there are those um, those other... Uh, Street bikes. bikes. Yeah. Crotch rockets. Street bikes? Yeah. Oh, like like you Kawasaki know, the, Ninja type? Yeah, yeah, the people that, you know, yeah. cut guys, in front of everybody in and out of traffic. Bros drive Jeeps. Bros drive Ford Expeditions. Bros drive SUVs, period, full stop. Hmm. I don't know what you're talking about with crotch rockets and scooters and motorcycles. Not scooters, trust me. No. Not scooters. Nobody said scooters. Bros drive Jeep Wranglers with the tops down, topless, (laughs) on their way to the beach. Brian, do you Or a clam bake. Brian's into cars. Let him uh, All right, so what's the bro car, Brian? Well, I have two muscle cars, a Mustang and a Charger, and the Mustang oh. is a drop top, and it's great in the summer, and again, it's a chick magnet. So, Which is the common theme to again, this. Do you drive reasoning... around uh, without your shirt during the summer? Yeah, he does. I have, but yes, I don't make a habit out of it. <laughs> okay, now Brian's introduced another concept here. We might have another fine line between bro and douche. Oh. <laughs> That's oh. not nice. Oh. No, I love Brian. But we have to admit, we're talking about... Fine gradations of lines here. Not not just Brian. Bros. I, I'm very clear. They go in my into mind. that realm, the one I just defined, right? No. Okay. I think you're confused about <laughs> the bro. Don't throw your headphones down. I'm I'm I'll very clear on what a bro is, in my mind. Yeah, but you're not letting your dudism go far enough. Like, where does the bro go with it, right? Where? What is the natural evolution? When he goes all bro, does he turn into the Guido? No. The Jersey Shore guy? No. The douche? No. What does he become? Just a bro. Bro! Why are you making this more complicated than it is? It's extremely complicated. Somebody on Twitter has said to me, clearly a bro does yoga. He just does it better. Yes, he does everything better than you do it, period. And he looks like a bro doing it. He's got a broga mat. It's shaped like a burrito. Boom. Essie's onto it, yep. You've got it. It's more about the attitude. It's attitude. 
Yeah, I think we have some defining still to go, clearly. Maybe maybe within a year of doing Game of Bros, we'll get to a real definition here. Of what a bro is. Of what a bro is. I think we're just going to muddy the waters the entire way. To- I'm with you, John. It's gotten muddier as we've gone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're almost home. We're on the home stretch here. You've been hanging out with us for two and a half hours, a little over that. We've got 15 minutes to go. Um, come back, hang out with us. Let's bring this home. Kane and Cup, 888-900-3393. This is Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back. I'm Will Kane on Twitter, at Will Kane. She's SE Cup, at SE Cup on Twitter. I need help. I need help from USC. I need help from you at home. This isn't contrived. This isn't a little bit. So Mother's Day is tomorrow, right? And look, I I fail as a gift giver. It's just a fact. I mean, um... Well, do you put time and effort into it and you just usually come out... No. No. You don't put time and effort into <laughs> right. it. Got it. Okay. It's not like I try, try hard and strike out. Um, okay. Occasions, occasions skip my mind, right? Like, I'm not a planner, period. Yeah. Like, hey, look, this is what's going to happen a month from now. I yeah. didn't hear what you just said. Uh-huh. That was white noise. Right. A right. month from now, is that's absurd. Right. Tell me what's happening next, next five minutes. Yeah. Uh-huh. So holidays and birthdays and events are really, uh, I'm not good. So Mother's Day is tomorrow. Yeah. G- give me ideas. What? what? Oh, First of all, so evidence that you're not a planner. Yeah, right. It's tomorrow. Right. <laughs> okay. Um, I'll tell you this, by the way. You know what's interesting as a husband? Um, you learn things about yourself. I know what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. Yeah. I'm not good at jewelry. I'm not good at. Um, uh, I'm sorry. This is not bro to say blouses. Okay. I can buy shoes. We've talked about this. Oh, yeah. I can buy shoes. Yeah. I can buy jeans. I, if it's on the mannequin, I can see it, mm-hmm. right? And go, that's good. I buy that. Well, if it's, it's on gotta, a hanger, yeah. I, I lose every perspective. Like, okay. I don't know what you that gotta is. You got to know your zone. So it's good that you know you can't do jewelry. You can do jeans, which is weird because jeans are like the hardest thing to buy for yourself, right. let alone for someone else, but whatever. I can see them on a man go. Those why don't you do, why don't you just do um, a brunch? And some flowers. Do the event. Right. That's easy. Like, I'm taking you to brunch. I got to tell you, as as a, a woman or as a wife, um, I'm not a mother, but I appreciate the planning that goes into a dinner or a night out or a special event way more than anything that comes in a box. Well, so you appreciate the effort. So I've already lost. Yeah, you've lost. <laughs> but it's not, it's not, I mean... It's probably going to be tough to find a good brunch res- reservation now, but you should try and, you know, say, honey, wake up in the morning, honey, happy Mother's Day. I've got the whole day planned. And then that's all That's all you need. I wouldn't need a gift after that. And some time Certainly off. wouldn't want some jeans, weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> and time off from the children, These right? These are your happy Mother's Day jeans. <laughs> Everybody loves jeans. What? I like jeans. No. I'm very That's a bro thing in the future. How particular are you about your jeans? We need to vet jeans from top to bottom. That's a good idea. Thanks for hanging out with us on Cannon Cup this morning. We'll be back with you again next week. Yeah, hang happy out for, Mother's Day. Yeah. Hang out for Chris Salcedo. He's next.
You're listening to Kane and Cobb. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network.